Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. The book of Acts, last week we started a two, three, eight plan series. Based upon the concept of the 529 plan, which is a college savings plan, but our 238 plan is a life savings plan. And so uh, uh, we started that last week, going to continue with that. Amen. You want to come tonight, Brother uh, Chris Cook will be ministering in our evening service this evening. Come on Wednesday, we will be uh, teaching and practicing foot washing in our Wednesday service. Amen. And so we'll be teaching on that and then. Uh, functioning in that on Wednesday and don't forget next Sunday is our fifth Sunday so there will just be one service in the a.m. and no service that evening amen Acts 2 verse number 37 starting and 38 I hope I can accomplish this today tell you what I was driving across town this morning from the house and got over here earlier uh, than my wife or anybody else for that matter but nevertheless, as I was on my way across town on Poplar Street, I was on my way over, and man, two squirrels were, I guess, playing with death and just shy of a tail length, and one would have for sure been dead. And just within a block, I mean, I didn't even go 100 feet, and a cat almost lost its life. And then just a little further, I had a bird right there at my window. I thought, I'll tell you what, it's not a good day to get out in front of me. I don't know what's going on. So I hope something changes through the word. So don't get in front of me this morning. I'm liable to just about take your life, I'm telling you. And so Acts, Acts 2, verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter, to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So this is two, our 238 plan, our 238 plan, and our subject matter today is, is baptism. I'm going to, uh, to the best of my ability uh, this morning, to answer those six interrogative Interrogatives, those six questions of the who, what, when, where, why, and how uh, concerning baptism uh, today. Uh, I try to do that really most of the time when I teach, but just to let you know, that's usually what I try to do. I try to answer those questions uh, for our lives. Amen. Father, we come to you this morning. I'm so grateful today, Lord, to be here in your house among your people. God, I'm grateful, Lord Jesus, for your presence, God, that I can feel Lord, God, my spirit to bear witness, God, to your spirit. I pray, Jesus, today, Lord, open minds in this place, open understandings. I pray, God, if there's people, Lord, sitting in there here today that have not ever been baptized in Jesus' name, that you would open their mind and their understanding to the necessity, the essentiality, God, and the privilege, God, and what it does, Lord Jesus, for them as an individual. I pray, oh, Lord, today you're able to help us, God, in this study, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name that I pray. Amen of the church. Say amen. Hallelujah. You may be seated this morning. In Jesus' name. In Acts 2, Peter had Peter had a mixed crowd that he spoke to on the day of Pentecost. 
The reason why I say that is if we want to consider who needs baptized, he had a mixed crowd on the day of Pentecost, a sampling of the people that were there. We can read of in Acts 2, verses 9 through 11. It speaks that there were some of the Parthians, the Medes, the Elamites. It said there were dwellers of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia. And the list continues to go on. So there were a variety of nationalities, races, and people from all over that was there in the crowd whenever Peter addressed them and answered their question, repent. And be baptized every one of you. And so whenever he said every one of you, that meant all of those people from those various sectors of the world and areas of the world that he was speaking to. He told those variety of people that every one of them must be baptized. Furthermore, uh, Jesus told the 11 disciples in Matthew 28, 19, he told those 11 disciples prior uh, to his ascension that they were to go into all the world, teach all nations, that's important, all nations, baptizing them, the them then refers back to the all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching all nations and baptizing them, baptizing all nations. And so we start to get a little understanding about who baptism is for and uh, to make mo no bones about it, it is for every single one of us. Uh, you, if you're questioning your mind, I don't know if baptism is for me. Let me answer that this morning. It is for you. It is for you. And so, and we also, as it doesn't take too many flipping of the pages through the book of Acts, that early on in the book of Acts, we see that there were many Jews that were baptized, many Jews that were baptized. Then we get to like Acts chapter number eight, and we see the Samaritans that are half Jew, half Gentile, they're, they're baptized. Also in Acts 8, we see the, the eunuch who was Ethiopian, the scripture says, he, he's baptized. We see in Acts chapter number 10 that Cornelius and his household, who Cornelius of the Italian band being a Gentile, that he was baptized. And so, man, you, you've already covered in that known day quite a few different sects, if you will, of people. We know also that there's male and female because the Bible says when we've all been baptized by the same spirit into one body that we're no longer Jew or Gentile, bond or free, male or female. So all of those need, can be, should, ought to be baptized. Amen. And so then Peter tells us that we, we should repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for, I say for, for the remission of sins. And when you come to that word for, that word for, there is a preposition that means to or into a place, time, or purpose. In other words, we repent and are baptized into the purpose. Or said differently, the purpose is revealed after the for. You're baptized because of, you're baptized and the purpose for the baptism is for remission of sins. And if that's the case, if that be the case, then all sinners huh, need to repent and be baptized. And the Bible tells me all have sinned. So every one, those that are in remote places and tribes and third world countries, they need to be baptized in the lovely name of Jesus Christ, the pauper and the priest. 
The rich, the poor, the black, white, yellow, it doesn't matter if you've been born into this world or if you've been born of, of, a, of a mother or of a woman, amen, born into sin, you need baptized. As a matter of fact, when we read the Gospels and we start to see the Gospels that the man, Christ Jesus, came to John the Baptist to be baptized. Amen. Jesus came to John to be baptized. Folks, let's just get real. If Jesus came to John and said, I need you to baptize me, there's not one of us. There is not one of us that goes exempt because whenever I speak about Jesus, Scripture tells me he knew no sin. In another place of Scripture, the Bible says he was without sin. In another place of Scripture, it said in him is no sin. And so if Jesus said, you need to baptize, I guarantee you I need baptized. Because we are like David who was shaped into iniquity and sin. His mother did conceive him. We need baptized. We need the purpose of baptism. We need the remission, the removal, the releasing, if you will, of sin. Or scripture says you cannot enter and you cannot see the kingdom of heaven except ye be Born again in John 3. And he said being born again meant born of water, baptism, and of spirit, the Holy Ghost. Someone say amen. Amen. And so I need that because I can't enter in without. Because Revelations 21 and verse number 27 tells me this. And there shall in no wise enter into it, speaking of heaven, anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie. Who wants to go to heaven? Huh? We can't go to heaven with sin. So we need repentance and baptism for the removing, the remission, the release of sin. Everybody say everyone. Everyone needs baptized. Now, granted, this morning, John the Baptist, he baptized many people. Amen. Prior to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, his disciples baptized several people as well and these baptisms john did not try to make it more than what it was he stated very plainly the scripture states it very plainly that this was a baptism unto repentance this is the baptism in in accord with repentance these baptisms of john and john's disciples could be nothing more than this because christ had not yet died or been buried or resurrected so they could not be anything more than that they couldn't be buried with christ in baptism in those modes because christ had not yet even been buried so they were simply just baptisms unto repentance they 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 were baptized and they were putting their foot forward in a in the opposite direction as we studied last week to try to live their life in another direction. Amen. And as a matter of fact, whenever people come to John to get that baptized, the Bible says many times when they were baptized, they also confessed their sins. They also confessed their sins and they would be baptized. But the baptism, here is, here is the importance of John's baptism. Yes, for repentance, but John's baptism was going to reveal to Israel who the baptizer of the Holy Ghost was. You can read of it in John chapter number one, because whenever they, and going back to last night, whenever they found out that John, he's not the Christ, when they found that out, they said, then why are you baptizing? 
And he says, here's the reason why I baptize you. He said, I don't know him. What he was saying, I, 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 I don't yet know, amen, I, I'm going to, Israel for that matter doesn't know uh, who this person is that is going, it's going to be their Messiah who does this, but the one that's going to baptize with Holy Ghost and fire. He said, but I've been instructed of God. You can read of it in John. I, I've made already references to probably 15 scriptures we didn't go to. All right, and so I'm just, I cannot stop forever. I just put it in parentheses. You want to know, you come see me after church, I'll tell you exactly where it's at. Amen, I, I can't go to every scripture. Although I do try sometimes, but I can't this morning. But nevertheless, it's in John 1. And so he says, God has told me, he says, I've been spoken to by the Spirit that in baptizing, whenever I baptize the one, that's going to baptize with the Holy Ghost. Said there will be a dove as, as, as though a dove come down and light upon him. And I'll know that's the one that's going to be the baptizer of the Holy Ghost. And so that's what happened for John. When if he baptized Jesus, he's seen uh, the spirit descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And that was his understanding. This is the one that's going to baptize with the Holy Ghost. So John's baptism was significant because through his baptism, he would know and it would be revealed who the one was that was coming to baptize with the Holy Ghost. Not only that, John's baptism also underscored the importance of baptism being immersion in water. Yes, of immersion in water because when we read the scripture concerning when John baptized, John the Baptist baptized, there's a particular place in John chapter 3, 23. The Bible says, I think, I don't remember, but it was somewhere in the Jordan. He said he baptized there because there was much water. There was much water. And even whenever Jesus was baptized by John, he is described as coming up out of the water. Amen. And so John's baptism is important because it also, again, for us, underscores the important that baptism is by immersion. Jesus didn't have any sin, didn't need to repent, but he was baptized for an example to the people. Not because he needed to be baptized, but he needed the people to see the necessity for them as humans. Because at this point, that's all that most people saw Jesus to be. The carpenter's son. Just another human. But see, if he were to be first partaker, whenever he comes and starts his earthly ministry of repent, uh-huh, and all these instructions, well, he did it. So, you know, it's very hard to teach something that you don't practice. She said, I'm not doing this for myself, but I'm doing it for the necessity that these people understand the necessity, the essentiality that this is a part of salvation and that they know for, for, for the way that John's baptism illustrated to us that this is by immersion. Because notice, you'll see in Matthew 3, Matthew 3, verse 15, John, whenever Jesus approaches John, John says, no. He says, I don't need to be baptizing you. You need to baptize me. Uh-huh. Because he said, behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He says, you need to baptize me. Why? Because you're the baptizer of the Holy Ghost and fire. We've not experienced that. And so Jesus did not refute that he indeed needed to baptize John with the Holy Ghost. But he was just simply relaying to him, look at it. And Jesus answered and said to him, suffer it to be so now. For thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered 
him. In other words, Jesus said, John, just, 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 just for now, let, let's do this. Let you baptize me just for now. Because in doing so, we will fulfill all righteousness. The phrase, fulfill all righteousness. Other translations translate it like this. In doing so, we will do all that God requires. Or we will do the right thing. In other words, the right thing for us to do is to do everything a good man ought to do. Now, in the Old Testament, righteousness, the righteousness of God is all times referred to as God's acts of righteousness. That God does in order to bring salvation for his people. In fact, in the Old Testament, righteousness almost becomes synonymous with salvation. And so whenever Jesus is speaking to John, he said, It becometh, it becometh us to fulfill righteousness. Amen. Using the synonym of the Old Testament, it becometh us to fulfill all salvation. In other words, Jesus was letting John know and wanted the people to know being baptized was a part of a means for the fulfillment of salvation. He said, suffer it now. Because these people need to understand this importance, this step of importance in salvation. Now, the Bible says, Mark 16, 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be what? But he that believeth not shall be damned. Now, we live in a society that really has thrown this particular verse backwards. People claim today that you get baptized as a public sign that you have been saved. Mark says you get baptized so that you might be saved. Right? I'm not showing you I've been saved. I'm showing you I need to be saved. I need some remission. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 2 and 4, who, the who it's referring to, you can read verses ahead of, it's talking about God, who God, God, will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. God will have all men to be saved, but to fulfill all salvation or to, to, to fulfill men being saved, those men must be baptized. Everybody needs baptized. If you've never been baptized this morning, I want you to contemplate in your mind this morning baptism. Amen. Absolutely. You need to be contemplating in your mind baptism. Amen. Now, baptism, we don't see in the Old Testament that baptism is necessarily mentioned. The word baptism is not used in the Old Testament. Amen. But it is very, very distinctly typified in the Old Testament tabernacle. Amen. That Moses received the pattern on the mount of God and came down and ordered those to build and create. The Bible says in Hebrews 9 and verse number 10, it says, which, again, read the verses prior to that. You'll understand it's speaking about the tabernacle. The tabernacle stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and cardinal carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation amen the tabernacle we're not going into it all i'll just keep you i'm not going to do it but the tabernacle is a wonderful illustration of a two three eight plan amen from 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 the 
the, the, the brazen altar to the brazen labor to that final destination of the holiest of holies where the ark of the covenant is and God would show up amen his presence between the two cherubim that were upon the mercy seat amen repentance baptism and the infilling of the Holy Ghost amen but for our purposes today for baptism there was that second piece of furniture that one would would come to when they were going through the tabernacle and that would be the laver it was at the laver that the priests would wash before they entered into the holy place. It's at the labor, that labor that was brazen from, you read from the Old Testament that was made from the mirrors of the women that they had given to the work in the house of God. They used those mirrors to create this brazen labor. And so when a priest stood there, he seen he was a sinner. He seen his uncleanliness. He seen those things that were defiled. And he would wash there at the labor so he could be cleansed before he went to the holy place and minister to the Lord. Just a normal priest. The high priest, though, he would wash there at the labor, the labor, and he got granted access all the way into the presence of God because he washed at the labor. Someone say amen. And so when we understand this, look, Exodus 30 and verse number 18, speaking of this labor, thou shalt also make a labor of brass and his foot also of brass. And here's the purpose. These three words, to wash with all. To wash with all. And thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, and thou shalt put water therein. So the purpose of the labor is in those three words, to wash with all. Amen. And with all is just one word in the scripture. In case someone's saying, you, just, you don't know how to count, Pastor. <laughs> to wash with all. Amen. There's water in the labor that's used for cleansing. Now, this, this here is just one of those things, let's just ponder. I can't tell you one way or another, but it's interesting to think about. Where did the water come from that was put in the labor? Where did the water come from? Because the tabernacle wasn't a stationary thing. It was moved. A lot of places they weren't, went were desert areas. A lot of places they went, but people themselves didn't have water. I'm just pondering here where, where did the water come from there's a lot of discussion and a lot of people conjuring up ideas perhaps where the water would come from but there's times when they journeyed that they were very far from water they, they relied on miracles in order for a water to come even to their families but there's something that I see over and over in scripture the bible says that there was a rock that followed them there was a rock that followed them, a rock that even issued forth water at times to give and bring uh, sustaining refreshment to the people. And in 1 Corinthians, the Bible tells us that that rock was Christ. Now, I don't know this, but I'm just saying, wouldn't it be neat that the water that got in the laver was the water that came from a rock? Who was Christ? That was vital important for the cleansing and the washing of the priest and the high priest. Baptism, folks, is a cleansing. Baptism cleanses us from our sins. Someone say amen. Baptism. What is baptism? Baptism cleanses you from your sins. Now, there's been times, and I understand the... Uh, 
the purpose or the desire behind all of this, and I'm not raising an anvil upon this, but there have been uh, in the church, you know, people have waited for uh, their relatives uh, before they got baptized because they wanted their relatives there to witness that or to experience that. And I understand that. that that's fine. Amen. I understand that. Amen. And so there's been other reasons why people have waited uh, to be baptized. But normally, whenever you read through the scriptures, normally in the scriptures, people did not wait to be baptized. People didn't wait to be baptized. As a matter of fact, the Bible seems to portray, again, the only, the only qualification for baptism is repentance. But outside of that, if they had repented people, whenever they decided, when they seen or was commanded for that matter, understood the necessity of baptism, they were baptized. Wasn't a convenient time. As a matter of fact, in Acts 2.41, those that Peter spoke to on that day, the Bible tells us those that gladly received Peter's word, what he had preached, the gospel, the message, when they heard it, understood it, processed it, the Bible says they were baptized. No one said that day, I tell you what, next Pentecost, Amen. When we read in Acts 8 and 12, the Bible says those people, those Samaritans, whenever they believed the preaching of Philip, the things concerning the kingdom of God, they were baptized. Let me say this this morning. If you're understanding what I'm talking about this morning, you do not need to hesitate what I'm telling you and what the scripture is telling you to do. You don't, if you're hearing the word this morning as they heard Peter and as they heard Philip concerning the things of the kingdom, you need to be baptized. Also in Acts chapter number 8, after Philip had his meeting with the eunuch, amen, the Bible says whenever they came to where there was water, the eunuch even was the one that cried out and said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be? He didn't say, I'm going to go back to Ethiopia. Where my clan and fam is? No. He says, no, we're going to do it right now. In Acts 9, Saul, he'd been struck and blind on his way to Damascus. But when Ananias went to him, prayed for him, and he received the sight again, the first thing he wanted to do was not to get a meal. Amen. Was not to go out and look at the sky. The first thing he wanted to do, he no sooner got his eyesight back. The Bible said he arose and he was baptized in Acts 10 Cornelius and his household had just received the baptism of the Holy Ghost they didn't go strutting around and said well we got it without baptism because Peter said no I command you to be baptized and when they heard the command they went to the water and no delay they were baptized in Acts 16.33 Paul and Silas is in the jail cell they're singing praises unto the Lord at midnight and the jailhouse shakes and the doors of the prisoners are open and the jailer seeing this he was going to kill himself because the law said if people are put under your hands such as that as prisoners and one escapes it's your life for their life so he knew he was going to die so he was going to kill himself but Paul said no 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 we're all here and he asked them that question he said sirs what must I do to be saved they told him and the Bible says in the self same hour they went to the water and he and his household was at midnight so you need to do it you're hearing it. You need to do it. Now, folks, let me tell you something. 
in the culture of the Old Testament or leading up to it, it's not like they had nice baptistries. Okay. That's the reason why you see them hanging out at Jordan all the time. Okay. I baptized people in the river myself. Years ago when we have, um, before we ever evangelized and we were uh, preaching those camp meetings out there in West Virginia. Mighty wind went out there at night and the headlights on the water was our light source and we baptized 21 young people in Jesus' name in a river. It's been done in lakes. It's been done in ponds. In our revival services, it's been done in swimming pools. One little boy said he wouldn't go go swimming in there because all those sins was going to be in his water. Been done in swimming pools. We've had it done in Georgia. We've done it in horse troughs. Uh-huh. And we've done it in baptismals. The element that is needed is water and his name. Again, if we go back to the eunuch, the eunuch says, see, here is water. He didn't say, well, here's a river, so this is where it needs to be done. Here's a lake. Here. No, no. Water. Here is Water, what doth hinder me? It doesn't matter if it's running water, if it's clean water, if it's the muddy wall bash, or if it's the baptistry and it's heated water, ice cold water, matters not. But if you got the water and you got the name and you get submerged and immersed in it, sins are being washed away. And just a little archaeological study, just so you know that even not long there, whenever the first church was born, they have found church buildings in Asia Minor dating back from the middle of the second century. That's a long time ago. Second century. That even in those churches, including baptistries for baptism by immersion. Now, in Acts 2.38, the word baptize is baptizo. Throughout the book, of Acts and the New Testament scripture, when you see uh, it's speaking about baptism, it is that word baptizo. It's not to be confused with bapto, B-A-P-T-O. Baptizo comes from that word. That's its root word. But they are different. The clearest example that shows this difference is they took a real Greek poet who is also a physician his name was Nike Ander, who lived about 200 B.C., and he had a recipe for making pickles. I, I'm serious. I know. It makes me think when we take the, we're happy people. Yes, we are. We're happy. You remember when we used to talk? Yeah, okay. A few of those that have been around. I'm sorry. Anyway, a recipe for making pickles. And very helpful because he used both words. Uh, Nick Ander, he says that in order to make a pickle, y'all getting out your books, put this in your recipe book. In order to make a pickle, the vegetable should first be dipped, B-A-P-T-O, should be dipped in boiling water and then baptized, baptizo, in the vinegar solution. And so both verbs, no doubt, concern an immersion of the vegetable in the solution. But the first is temporary. The second is the act of baptizing the vegetable that thus produces a permanent change. Anytime you read of baptism in New Testament scripture, although its root is a dip, the word used is bab- 
baptizo, which means an immersion that has causation to a permanent change. To bapto, to dip was like whenever uh, uh, the, 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 the rich man lifted up his eyes in hell and asked Abraham if he would dip his finger in water and cool his tongue. That, that other one is like whenever uh, uh, the Bible speaks in Revelation how his vesture was dipped in blood or whenever Jesus dipped the sop and gave it to Judas. But whenever we talk about baptism, we're not talking about something temporary. We're not talking about going down dry and coming up wet and that's all there is to it. We're talking about a permanent change when the name is used and you're submerged in water. Hallelujah. Someone say amen. amen. Keep a track of time here. Uh, thank you. I'm going to run through something that I've ran through, I know, before several years ago. But I think it's so vital and so important that I want to do it again. So we, 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 have, we have water, we have immersion, but we have the name. Everybody say the name. Not titles. Not Father, Son, Holy Ghost. All right. Oh, Matthew 28, 19. Yeah, the command Jesus gave to his disciples, go baptize in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Ghost. That was the command. The obedience is all throughout the book of Acts. You never see anybody in New Testament scripture that was baptized in the titles Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. You'll never. If you find it, come and show me. And let me tell you, I've read this Bible through probably more times than most in this place. It's not in there. It's baptized in the name. Amen. Acts 4 and 12 tells us neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven. And you want to know what the name is that it's speaking about? Read the verses earlier. It's talking about Jesus Christ. There is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be. Jesus' name is the saving name. Jesus' name is the saving name. Not only that, Colossians 3.17 tells us, And whatsoever ye do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Do all in the name of Jesus. We pray in the name of Jesus, cast out devils in the name of Jesus, pray for healing, the sick and the disease in the name of Jesus, and we baptize in the name of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Because that's where the power and the authority was. There in Acts 4, whenever they asked them, because the lame man who was lame but now is walking, they said, by what power, what authority have you done this? Because they knew power and authority is invested in a name. And whenever they said, by what power or authority do you, have you done this? Peter and John said, in the name of Jesus Christ, we have done these things. Because the power and the authority is in the name. Father doesn't have no power. Son doesn't have no power. Holy Ghost has no authority. But the name of Jesus has all power in heaven and earth. Yes. And so... There are some, though, even listed. We said, well, Pastor McGee, there's some listed in the book of Acts and such that they're being baptized in the name of the Lord. That's fine. I have no problem with that. I have no problem with that. Because whenever Saul was on his way to Damascus in Acts chapter number 9, and he was walking, and he was blinded and cast down from his horse to the ground, he spoke unto the Lord. Because the Lord spoke to him and said, Saul, why, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? And Saul responded in Acts 9 and 5, and he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am 
I am Jesus, so I have no problem when the Bible says they baptize them in the name of the Lord because I understand profoundly by Scripture the name of the Lord is Jesus. Amen. Now, let's have fun for a little bit. Numbers chapter number 6, verse 22. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying. Now, there's something I wanted to note here. And you probably won't see it on the screen unless, no, I was going to say, unless the program has, has done that. Uh, most, most English translations of the Bible, uh, whenever it comes to the word Lord in this, this setting of Scripture, it will have Lord uppercase. Lord will be capitalized, all right? It's not on the screen, is that? Amen. A lot, is it? No, 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 no. All four letters will be in uppercase. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Amen. And so uh, your, your Bibles will probably do this for you. And the Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and unto his sons, saying, On this wise ye shall bless the children of Israel, saying unto them, The Lord, again, you, you see it in your Bibles, all uppercase, Bless thee and keep thee, the Lord, all uppercase, Make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace, and they shall put my name, that is the Lord's name, upon the children of Israel, and I will bless them. And so any time of the Old Testament in your English Bibles that you see the word Lord in all uppercase letters, it is denoting God's covenant name with his people. The, the, the Jehovah covenant name with his people. And in the Old Testament times, whenever the name of the Lord was put upon someone or called upon someone or evoked on someone, if it was called upon, evoked upon, a, and I've went through this before, but it's necessary to repeat. If it's put upon a person, a place, or a thing, many times it was put upon a person, sometimes upon a place, his name would be put upon a thing. We see this very early in our Bible, this, this calling upon the name of the Lord or the evoking of the name of the Lord. In Genesis 4:26, the Bible says, and to Seth. Seth was the one that took Abel's place after Abel was killed by his brother Cain. And to Seth, to them also was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. That literally means the name of the Lord was called upon them. So the name of the Lord was called upon, evoked, placed upon a people. Now listen to pastor, and we'll show it through scripture. Whenever the name of the Lord is placed upon a person, place, or thing, it denotes ownership, redemption, and his presence. All right? Ownership. Take a case in point. 2 Samuel 12 and verse 26. This is not just his name. This was a uh, cultural uh, history. This is cultural. Uh, uh, this was just their culture. Amen. This is the way that it took place. In 2 Samuel 12, verse 26, the Bible says, And Joab fought against Rabbah of the children of Ammon and took the royal city. And Joab sent messengers to David. David is king right now. And said, I have fought against Rabbah and have taken the city of waters. Now, Therefore, gather the rest of the people together and encamp against the city and take it. David, you take it, lest I, Joab says, lest I take the city and it be called after my name. He says, because if I take the city, if I claim it, I'm putting my name upon it and that's going to bring me. I'm going to be the owner of it. You're the king, though. You should come down. You take it. You place your name on it. You put your name on it. You're the owner. All right. 
Uh, furthermore, in 2 Samuel 5, 7, here's David, an example of David. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion. The same is the city of David. Not before, but after he took it. Why? Now it has his name upon it. That shows it belongs to him. In Exodus 19 and 20, when you read those chapters, you, you read about the nation of Israel. And you read how the children of Israel or the nation of Israel became God's people, became his, become his treasure box, so to speak. And he called, you can read in 19 and 20, those chapters, he put his name upon them or over them. And it's at that point they became God's. And so with that understanding, amen, we understand that children of Israel are going to become God's or are God's. Exodus 6 and 6, the Bible says, wherefore, say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord you look in your English Bibles, that's all uppercase letters, the covenant name. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I'll rid you out of their bondage. And I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. So I'm taking you out of Egypt that you were bond to. And, and, and I'm placing, I, I am the Lord. I'm your covenant God. I, I'm the, my covenant name is there. And I'm taking you out of there and I am redeeming you. For that matter, folks, we read in New Testament scripture that both the whole nation of Israel through the cloud and through the water were baptized, the Bible says, into both. Which is sim whenever we talk about them going down into the Red Sea from one side and coming up to the Red Sea to the other side. New Testament scripture says in like figure, even like baptism does serve you and I. And so when we read this, he said, I put my covenant name upon you. He says, and you're going to be redeemed. His covenant name is tied to our redemption. If you don't think that's good enough, look at Exodus chapter number three and verse number 13. If you're wondering why I'm going so quick, it's because I got a little bit to share. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you. They shall say unto me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. He said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And God said moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say, say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial unto all generations. Now the people understood something. We want to know, Moses, who it was that hath sent you unto us. What is his name? This was, this was a common understanding and knowledge of the people. The people understood this, that anywhere the Lord's name was, his presence would be. As a matter of fact, we see even in the Old Testament, he said, wherever I place my name, that's where you'll take your sacrifices. That's where you'll take my offerings. Why? Because that's where his presence would be. And so they understood if, if, wherever the name of the Lord is, that's where his presence is. And so Moses, if you tell us that you're coming in the name of the I am that I am, you're coming in the name of the Lord, you're coming in the name of Jehovah, then we know that you're not coming by yourself, but you're coming along with his presence. Wonderful. We come, though, into the New Testament scripture, and we had the name Jesus, which means Jehovah, that old covenant name, saves. Mm -hmm. Same as the uppercase letter Lord of the Old Testament, 
is the Jesus of the New Testament. And when we read in James 2 and 7, the Bible says, Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by which ye are called or by which has been evoked or placed or put upon you. In other words, when he put his name upon them, they were owned by him. And they're asking, why are they acting? Why are they blaspheming that worthy name? Why are they acting outside of the character of the name that's been put upon them? They bring a reproach upon the name because he's put his name upon them and owned them. They're blaspheming the name because he owns them. His name is upon them. All right? Is everybody all right? In Acts 2.21, also Romans 10.13, people go to many times. It says, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord, shall be saved. So, boom. Jesus, saved. But whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord is basically whoever has the name of the Lord called upon them. That is the literal translation, folks. Whoever has the name of the Lord called upon them. That is referring to our baptism. Mm-hmm. In Acts 15 and verse 7, I'm trying to see here. We read about uh, Peter going before the church at Jerusalem, and he's talking to them how the Gentiles even have been redeemed in like manner that we have been redeemed and that they have went through the modes of Holy Ghost and baptism just like they had. There had been no difference between them. And the Gentiles for sure wasn't God's covenant people, but they were redeemed because they had the same 2-3-8 plan that they were obedient to like the Jews had been obedient to. And his name had been placed upon them, which brought redemption to an outcast society of Gentiles. Further, I got to go, I got to go. 1 Corinthians 6, 11, And such were some of you, there's a long list, liars, cheaters, adulterers, idolaters. And such were some of you, Paul's telling the Corinthian church. He said, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but you're justified, look, in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. He said, you were a bunch of cheaters, liars, drunkards, idolaters, laying around, sleeping around. That was you, but not now because you have been washed and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when it talks about in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's talking about our New Testament baptism. When he says by the Spirit of God, that's talking about our baptism of the Spirit, the receiving of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Someone hear me? Amen. And as a result of that, we are not our own anymore because we have a name that's put upon our life. And wherever God puts his name, he owns. And wherever God puts his name, he redeems. And You've been sanctified. You've been washed. You've been justified. Someone say amen. John 1, 12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. What is that? You're a part of the family now. I own you because you received me. More importantly, you received my name. Even to them that believe on his name. Name, which were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What is that? That's his presence. When you receive his name, you're owned by him, you're redeemed by him, and you get his presence. 
Matthew 1 21 and she shall bring forth a son and thou shalt call his name Jesus Jehovah saves the Old Testament covenant name for he shall save his people from their sins verse 23 says behold the virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel which is being interpreted God with us Jesus the covenant name is God with us when you get the name you get him when you get the name you get his presence when you And that happens through baptism. That happens by baptism. That's the reason why Peter could emphatically say, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The gift of the Holy Ghost is the Spirit of God because when you go down in his name, you will receive his presence. Plan, the plan, the two, three, eight plan. Guys, you don't have this up here. I'm closing. I really am. Glory, amen, hallelujah. I just want to touch one more. First John 5, verses 7 and 8. First John 5, verses 7 and 8. Now, let me go back to the tabernacle, please. Good illustration of the 238 plan. At, I know I'm throwing trash away. I'm in a housekeeping and preaching. I'm multitasking. So, at the brazen altar, the sacrifice would be slain. The blood would be shed. The blood begins right there at the altar. It's carried on over into the baptism. They take... Some of that blood to the baptism is the water in the blood. Then in the washing, carried on through. But the blood began there at the altar. That being typical of our repentance and Jesus' death. All right? We come to the water of washing, the laver, the baptism, if you will. Symbolical then the Christ's burial. You can read of it in Acts 6, 7, and 8. The burial be buried with him in baptism. And then there's the holy place, but the ultimate goal is to get to the holies of holies where the presence of God was, where the spirit of God was manifest. Look at the scripture. You got it yet for me, guys? First John 5, 7. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And if you go back, you consider the Word. It was the word that was with God, the word that was God, that in verse 14 of John 1, 14, that became flesh. We knew him as Christ Jesus. All right. Father, Jesus, and the spirit, they're one. They were only expressed in one person, and that is Christ Jesus. But nevertheless, and there are three that bear witness in the earth. The spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. Keep it there. At the altar, his crucifix, our repentance, blood. At the labor, his burial, our baptism, the water. At the holies of holies, his spirit and presence, Christ's resurrection, 
Our infilling of the Holy Ghost, the Spirit. Those three bear witness in the earth and they agree in one. That one is your salvation. Those three of the blood, the water, and the Spirit agree in the salvation. They, they are incomplete, separated in their parts. But whenever they are brought together cohesively, they agree in one. And that's your salvation. If you'll stand with me here this morning. Hmm. Mm-hmm. If you think back at this parallel then with the previous verse of the Father and the Word and the Spirit of the Father and Christ and the Spirit, but those three are one. It was God and his relationship as Father that brought forth a creation of mankind in the beginning. You hear me? But was God in Christ Jesus being born of a woman that brought about the relationship them of him saving the humanity that the father relationship created? Made a mode for it. But it's the Holy Ghost relationship to mankind that indwells that humanity that was fallen. That gives them access to heaven someday. They're all just one. Different relationships. Yes, Father, Son, Spirit. But they're all one. One God who only expressed himself ever in one man. Christ Jesus. <laughs> Let's bow our heads in this place here today. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.